a choice right now, right now, between fear and love. It's just a run. Out of the dark night of ignorance and into the shining light of truth. Expounding reality. A population of citizens capable of critical thinking. We don't see things as they are, we see them as we are. There's a, a level of reality where everything dissolves into an ocean of energy. We empower our experience by insisting on our authenticity. That's very profound. Very Expanding reality. Welcome to Expanding Reality. I am your host, Brandon Thomas. On this incredibly cool episode, Ryan Sprague, cannabis coach, joins us to talk about creating a healthy relationship with Mary Jane. He has an awesome show, guys, uh, the podcast Highly Optimized, as well as this one time on psychedelics. I'm going to be linking all the ways, of course, to find him down in the show notes. Check also down there for all the ways to find us, the website, the new handbook, all the ways to support. And without any further ado, let's get to it with Ryan Sprague. What's up, guys? My name is Ryan Sprague, and you're listening to Expanding Reality. Enjoy it. God, I love it. Yes, so good, dude. (laughs) I love this, dude. Okay, well, let's just keep it rolling here. You ready? Yeah, dude, let's Let's go. Let's keep it rolling. All right, cool. Let's send it. (laughs) The real Ryan Sprague joining us. Ryan, brother, how are you, man? Dude, I'm doing great, man. And you know, it's so funny, Brandon. So, and you'll, you'll get a kick out of this because I know you're in this world. So I made that name, the real Ryan Sprague. I thought it sounded cool one night, you know, and so I make it on uh, Instagram. And then as the universe would have it, one day I decide like, hey, let me look up my name and see like if my address is out there or anything crazy, right? So I look at my name. Not only is there obviously other Ryan Sprague's out there, but the most famous one is a regular on Ancient Aliens and a host, yeah. the host of Mysteries Decoded. And I was like, how the fuck did that happen? <laughs> like, it's so wild. I can I can get into so many synchronicities I just had in the last week that are like that. But that was fascinating, man. So sorry to that, Ryan Spray. You're equally real, but yeah, guilty as charged. <laughs> Don't be. That's okay. You guys have two completely different but amazingly uh, married facets. So they're buried yeah. in my mind. So it actually is perfect. Uh, and yeah, he's an author, really cool dude, true TV and all that stuff. But that's so mm-hmm. funny that you said that because when he said Ryan Sprague, uh, Andre Mitty, by the way, shout out, Andre. We love you, dude. Uh, yeah, he's the one that nice. connected you and I. And whenever he said, oh, you got to have my buddy Ryan Sprague on, I was like, yeah, yeah, the dude from the, uh, the author, you know, his UFO guy or whatever. He's like, no, the weed dude. And I was like, oh, wait, what? <laughs> and so that that's how this worked out. It was badass. So to that point, my friend, dude, so fucking cool to connect with you, man. Uh, if you don't mind, uh, we have been speaking here briefly, but for my audience, it's not too familiar with you. Do you mind just letting us know who you are, brother? Absolutely, man. So my name is Ryan Sprague, the real Ryan Sprague, uh, not to be confused with the other fakes out there, guilty as charged, <laughs> but uh, I am the cannabis coach. Uh, what I do is I run a business called Highly Optimized. I'm a podcast host. I have two podcasts, the Highly Optimized podcast and the This One Time on Psychedelics podcast. And my ultimate mission in life is to help people uh, unlock the psychedelic powers of cannabis by learning to enact a conscious relationship with the plant. I also teach people how to cultivate it with organic means, including Korean natural farming, biodynamic methods, and also biogeometry. And so really like my whole thing is smashing the stereotype of a cannabis user and really a psychedelic user of any sort, because having worked in the industry, you know, studying psychology and all these things, I've realized that a lot of times the plant gets the blame for humans doing shitty stuff, right? So to give an example, right? Like everyone's heard the lazy stoner archetype. So what I would respond to that is there's no such thing as that. There's lazy people that happen to connect with cannabis and then they're also lazy, right? Because the plant reveals you to yourself, but it's not the plant's responsibility for you to be productive, right? Like that's your responsibility. And so I think a lot of people give their power away in multiple different ways when it comes to cannabis and everything else in life, because how we do anything is how we do everything. But at the end of the day, you know, we can get into a little bit of like why cannabis, why I settled on cannabis, but I've had the opportunity to bring so many people through end of life with cannabis, including my father. We can get into that for sure. I studied cannabis, you know, science, pharmacology, uh, organic soil science, all of these things. And what I really believe is that cannabis, unlike other plant medicines, is a little bit shy. And if we look at the collective consciousness of cannabis, one could assume anyway and imagine that the plant is a little traumatized from all the crazy stuff that's happened to it, right? So being a feminine plant as well, because it's been looked at like that in indigenous cultures for a long time, 
you know, I've found that uh, it takes a little bit of time and it takes a little bit of effort to really see what the plant can bring forth. And I think this is like synonymous with all plants. But the thing is that uh, with not necessarily plants, but with things like mushrooms or ayahuasca or these kind of things, they're going to hit you a little bit harder. Whereas cannabis, most people learned that the plant was just to numb out. It was like to laugh at movies, things like that. So if, what you don't know, you don't know. Right. And so a lot of what I'm looking to do is open up like, hey, guys, psilocybin is amazing. Ayahuasca is incredible. But cannabis is the most practical. You know, not a lot of people have the opportunity to take time out of their lives. They can't afford to go to the jungle and spend five thousand dollars. You know, they are afraid of getting arrested. Cannabis is the most legal, the least stigmatized, even though it is still very stigmatized. And people are just sleeping on it, not because they're choosing to, but because, again, if you're told that a color doesn't exist, do you ever even see that color? Right. Like Mm -hmm. you don't know something is possible until someone talks about it the the first time. It's like the four minute mile. Right. No one thought it was possible. One guy hits it. And over the next year, I'm going to get the figures wrong, but a bunch of people hit it. Right. And so what my whole message is, is really allowing people to see like, hey, this is possible. And I don't want anyone to take what I say at face value and just go repeat it. I want people to try it out themselves. Like that's another big thing I say is that I don't ever want to just be a talking head. I want people to come to their own conclusions. But if I can be the spark that ignites that flame, that's my job in this in this incarnation anyway. Dude, absolutely brilliant. Yes. Dude, nailed this. I could thank you, Andre. <laughs> thank you. I get it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Andre's the man. Oh, the, the <clears throat> man. Thank you again. Shout out. Uh, fact, I'll link his channel down below, guys. Uh, linking Andre, go check his channel, Ascension of the Chessman out. Great friend. Thank you, buddy. Uh, so you, I could not have said this better myself. You've enlightened me to a few perspectives that I feel that I've come to in some areas. You, of course, have uh, educated me and freed my mind even further about the things because <laughs> they were simply not found in the culture. And this Mm. is something different about what's presented to us in the mainstream anything, by the way, and then also Mm. what you discover on your own. So I want to I want to take us back all the way to the beginning with Mm. your journey with us, uh, I guess, asking you a question about the myth, but also your first time that you ever got high. Now, Mm. um, I have heard this myth of, of course, no, not high on the first time. Right. You don't get high on the first time. Was that the case for you? It actually was. So I talk about the first time that I really connected with cannabis as the time that I discovered kind of by chance, not by chance, like in the way that I had had someone mention it to me, but I really helped my anxiety. But the first time, and I don't think I've ever told this on a podcast. So you're the first one, Brandon, but the first time I ever interacted with cannabis, first of all, I was a just say no guy. I, I bought into the dare propaganda. So when I was 14, and everyone that hears the story, the first time I really connected with the plant was when I was 16. Just so everyone's like, wait, he said he was 16. This time when I was 14, I was uh, kind of like dating this girl uh, and her father was a stock car racer. And so she was a little bit of a delinquent, um, you know, not to talk bad on anyone. But, you know, she was like, you know, getting caught all the time smoking weed in school, these kind of things in eighth grade. So one day her dad decides like, hey, you and your friends want to go up to New Hampshire and do a stock car race. And we all decided, hell yeah. So I remember being in this car. It was like a seven seat SUV. Right. And there's kids in the back, like behind the last row, like in the trunk kind of right. Like and so it was like nine of us in this car driving up there. And this is when like, you know, people thought it was cool to buy those horribly artificially flavored blunt wraps. And so these these kids really didn't think that her dad knew. They open this blunt wrap and the entire car just starts smelling peaches. Then they're rolling weed. And it's just ridiculous, right? So I did not interact with cannabis when I was on the way up there. Later on that night, we come back and all of us sleep over her house, right? And when you're 14, you don't really sleep a lot. You just stay up all night making jokes, whatever. So at around like, I don't know, I want to say two in the morning, her brother, who was a little bit older than her and her and all of my friends, because they had pretty much all been starting to connect with cannabis. Like they decide to go out on her roof and uh they make a ghetto right like a ghetto bong out of like a water bottle with the hole in it and the whole thing right tin foil and so we're out there and i was petrified like i mean like i was fine being on the roof but i was petrified of this idea of like interacting with cannabis and they you know were like pressuring me into it and of course she's there so i'm like all right so i take one hit and i did the bill clinton approach i like didn't inhale on purpose i was like i don't know about this so then i pretended to be high all night just to like seem cool to these guys and uh so that's actually the first time but the first time that i really felt the effect of it was when i was 16 and that was when i actually like was around trusted friends and i was going through a lot of anxiety at that age and i had tried a lot of pharmaceuticals and every single one just made me feel less connected to myself so i was like well this doesn't seem like the answer and with every pill i tried that didn't work 
I lost a little more hope, right? So you can imagine as a 16 year old, I'm like, is this the way the rest of my life's going to be? Like, this is pretty shitty. So a friend of mine kind of like turned me on to the idea of cannabis. He's like, well, man, you know, cannabis can help with that. And I was like, I don't know. But I mean, I was at a point where I was like, fuck it, I'll try anything. So I tried cannabis. And this time I went a little heavier into it. I definitely inhaled for sure. Uh, And what happened was in that first experience where I really felt the effects, what I remember is just that I felt more connected to myself. And I also had the first experience of having a dichotomy between my thoughts and the observer of the thoughts. So in that moment, it like clicked in this truth that I wasn't my thoughts. So therefore, I had a little bit of separation, right? And I didn't get fully into spirituality until years later. But there was this experience where I realized that there was a lot more going on than just like me being the thoughts. And so in that experience, it helped me create that space. And after that, very similar to most people, and I'm sure I can dive into more of the story, but uh, it's a little lengthy. So I'll, I'll stop in a second. But um, what I realized was that very similar to a lot of people, we never got a user manual for this plant. So although it helped me, I didn't know like, you know, how much was too much. I wasn't emotionally aware. So inevitably, I ended up numbing out some stuff along with helping my anxiety, you know, and so we can get into a little bit of like what happened past that point. But that's my first time interacting with cannabis. I actually felt the effect and the time where I did the Bill Clinton approach as well. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. Uh, well, and uh, personal note here, uh, speak how you speak, man. If you're intuitively guided to continue on, go for oh, it, yeah. dude. You're you're not governed in any way here. Please feel free. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> So uh, what, why do you think that it was uh, considered a schedule one drug? So why, why did this turn uh, something to be demonized in the first place? Yeah, this is a great question. So like, you know, this is where I like to go down a little bit, a little bit of conspiracy alley, but at the same time, I think it's very logical, the conspiracy I'm about to give. Right. So I know from part of that story that I didn't tell yet that when I went to cannabis school, when I was witnessing with my own very two eyes, cancer patients come into the school with stage four cancer of many different types and be given RSO, AKA Rick Simpson oil, or it's professional name FICO full extract cannabis oil, and then getting their lives in order. I don't want to ever seem like I'm just saying that you can have a shitty lifestyle and shitty habits and just, you know, interact with cannabis and it will cure everything because that's not the case. But <clears throat> what these things would do is allow people to not have to have chemo or radiation. They would then get their diet in order. They would start actually going for the root causes of maybe what caused this cancer. And then what would happen is they would come in three, six to six months to a year later, and they would have no tumors on their scans anymore. And I live in Boston, right? So we have one of the biggest cancer centers in the world here, Dana-Farber. And this is back in like 2011, where this information was not as public as it is now on PubMed and things like that. So what they were saying was like, they had no idea how this was happening. And this was right around when medical was starting to pass. So they had a lot of questions. But every time I would ask one of these individuals like, hey, what is the what is the you know, the cancer center say about this? They'd be like, oh, uh, they they sent me for retest saying it must have been a mistake. They didn't believe me, these kind of things. But like I mentioned a little bit earlier, you can actually go on PubMed now and see in clinical trials with mice that THC does kill cancer cells and CBD, CBD does inhibit their growth. Now, those are the only two cannabinoids studied, but we know there's at least 64 others. There's terpenes, there's flavonoids, there's secondary components in there and secondary metabolites. So who knows what all of those things are doing together in the entourage effect. But what I do know from my own experience, especially helping my father through end of life as well, is that it definitely did exactly what those studies say. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons, because if you think about cancer, you know, treating cancer is one of the biggest cash crops, if you will, for the pharmaceutical cartels of the country, essentially, you know, and so think of it this way, right? You could think of it like a conspiracy or you think of it like business, you know, like if a business is like whole income is based on treating people, not curing people. Sometimes the cure happens, but usually it's just treating. And all of a sudden, there's something that you can grow in your backyard that's extremely easy to understand. It's not very scientifically advanced in terms of how to interact with it. And now people are able to cure their own cancer, not to mention, you know, help their Crohn's disease, um, help their glaucoma. I mean, the list goes on and on and on, along with, you know, boost their immune system. I mean, during COVID, it came out that hemp oil was able to uh, prevent COVID. I mean, there's so many things, right? So from a business perspective alone, let's take the conspiracy out of it. That's not exactly good for business. You know, Um, one of the other things, too, that I think is that and I kind of have a dichotomy with this because it could be either or. But I do think that 
there is something specific when it comes to mind altering substances, right? Like I think the way they're being pushed right now is in this vein of like, just take as many of them as you possibly can turn them out. Right. But I think there was uh, a little bit of uh, nervousness from the powers that be when they first started to become popular. And the fact of like, what's going to start happening if everyone starts working with these mind altering substances, you know? And so cannabis being one that literally is so easy to interact with, grow yourself, et cetera. I think those are some of the reasons, um, along with obviously the tobacco industries being worried about losing some of their business. You know, I think ultimately it's really a business thing. That, that's what I see. The, what what now makes several states, uh, Texas not yet being one of them, <laughs> see it as good for business rather than bad for business? Yeah. So I think what happened was uh, it all comes down to money. So I think at first um, they spent a lot of time like stigmatizing this medicine and there wasn't a lot of people interested in it. But now after they started realizing first the Prop 215 in California um, and things like that back in like 96 that, oh, there actually is some money in this. And now cannabis is actually trumping alcohol sales. And the good thing is that whatever the money shows, uh, the powers that be are going to hop into. The bad side of that is that now we have a lot of MSOs, multi-state organizations that are really run by, I'm sorry to say, but a bunch of Chad and Brad's um, that really have no place being in an industry uh, to do with medicine, let alone plant medicine, um, that are now reaping a lot of the benefits from it and not allowing the people that you know, have been the pioneers of this industry to really get a piece of the puzzle. And that's why I'm so big on teaching people how to grow it themselves, because if we start taking the money away from them, then they'll start having to shift the industry to more consciously grown plants and all the things that we're getting into. You know, and so I tell people, you can just like throw your fist in the air all you want, or you can actually do what's going to work, which is take their power away from them. You know, like, you know, again, it's very similar to, and I don't like to compare alcohol and cannabis, but if we look at it that way, right? Like, you know, Budweiser and all of these big uh, companies have taken a pretty damn big hit from craft beer to the level where now some of them are starting to advertise, we're using non-GMO wheat and these kind of things. It's not because they give a shit about the people they're serving with it. It's because the money's on that side, you know? But the good thing is that sometimes money can help us actually come forth with a healthier overall product because, and I'm sure we can get more into this, like, I think one of the unspoken epidemics of the cannabis world, and there's quite a few, is the fact that cannabis is being grown by individuals who are not fit to be cultivating plant medicine. Because when you're working with conscious plants and you're working with consciousness in general, I think one of the challenges that if you are eating a shitty diet, you know, coming into work frustrated, irritated, making minimum wage, being run by a, you know, a business executive or a business CEO that was in real estate or finance the year before, what is the energy that those plants are being cultivated with? And for a lot of people, I'm sure not on your podcast, but you know, at first I was getting a lot of flack back when I was talking about that. They're like, oh, that's woo woo. This is that. This is that. I'm like, cool. Why don't you look at Joe Patitucci's work with Plant Wave? So what he did was he created this system called Plant Wave. We're very similar to Masaru Emoto's work with water. He can hook these electrodes up to plants, have someone walk into the room. And he's done this with cannabis, actually, specifically as well. Have someone walk into the room projecting hate, anger, etc. And you will hear this plant's whole tone and the song it's singing go very minor key, right? On the other hand, someone can come in projecting emotions of love and gratitude and excitement. And that plant has a very deep major key. And so we can see right there that our energy walking into the cultivation site really matters. Now, when you combine that with indoor grow lights that aren't being balanced out, EMFs, all of these things, so many different people around the plants, and also the plants being grown with chemical salt nutrients, aka steroids for plants, you know, like we all understand that, yeah, someone who takes steroids might look amazing until their heart literally explodes, right? So what is the energetic quality of cannabis that is grown under those conditions and then being sold as medicine to people that are sick, right? Because even the recreational industry, like, I don't think anyone seeks cannabis out if they're not looking for something, right? And so I personally believe that all cannabis is medical, right? Even if someone is numbing out with it, they're looking to use it as a medicine. They might just be unaware of the ways in which to do that. Because again, we never got a user manual for the plant and it was demonized for so many years, told us that literally it was going to you know, ruin our lives and all this stuff. This is your brain on drugs. And now on the other hand, it's like the biggest industry in the country, right? So, you know, I'm not sure if it's exactly the biggest, but it's, it's huge, right? And so now overall, when something is demonized that long and then becomes literally the thing that like is known to cure cancer and help with that, a lot of people just hop on the bandwagon without really being fit to connect with the medicine. And, you know, I'm not here to judge anyone. That's not my point. I'm not here to tell people what's right or wrong and how to correctly interact with the plan. I don't think that's a thing. But what I am here to do 
is invite people to consider things they might not have considered before. And if they like some of what I say, cool, go try it out. If you don't, cool, that's no worries either. You know, I'm unattached to who believes me. I'm unattached to who, you know, really resonates with what I say, because I know that there will be people that do. And those are the people I'm focused on helping. We are your people, band. You're God, you're on the right show. This is so great. So I love <laughs> yeah, something that you said as well. I mean, everything that you said, but to something that you said is the vibe that is carried with the uh, cultivation of this plant. And man, I have thought about this so much. This is another thing you and I connect on that mm. was that was speaking to me. Uh, the thought of uh, like, let's just take Apple, for instance. I've got an iPhone sitting right here. We all know how those things are made. We all know the conditions of the workforce. Now, I sort of conspiratorial hat here think that it's done like that on purpose, that the conditions in which the ways that we are spending our energy, time, our attention, consuming food, any of that is deliberately got something hijacked from the get-go. It's got a little bit of something into it because it's mm. made with these horrible conditions. You think of the slaughterhouses and mass meat production. You think of that. Well, that just pushes us to what you're talking about. And I'd love that you empower people by just saying, mm. look, grow your own. You know, I can help you with anything you want, <laughs> but you do it. You know what I mean? This is what we do here as well. That's my mission as yours, to give people back to themselves. Now, back to the Apple thing, instead of improving work conditions, they just spent all the money to wrap a suicide net around the building so that when people <laughs> yeah. inevitably, you know, and so now this is all tied to those things. And so we alchemize with our power and awareness of that, of course, but the, pre the presentation you have and the mindset that you have around cannabis, man, it's perfect. Because like I said, it's something that has been a very important part of my life uh, since I was 18, since I first got my introduction to cannabis at the age of 18. And I got super lit dude i don't know i mean i was laying on the ground <laughs> laughing my ass off there was a dog there looking me in the face which made it even more perfect like oh. it's the perfect story but uh so i i wanted to ask though if you don't mind do you mind sharing mm. the story about your father yeah absolutely this is one of the stories i love sharing because i forget the exact quote maybe you know it but i i heard someone that i really liked that someone has essentially three deaths, right? The first one is when they actually leave the body. The second one was something. And the last one was when people stop talking about him or her, right? And so what I truly believe is that by sharing this story, I'm keeping my father alive, you know? And it's really fun because I think for a lot of people, they might look at me and go, out of all the psychedelics, why are you focusing on cannabis? They might not even understand cannabis as a psychedelic or that it could be that, right? Because again, it's never been pushed as that. It's been pushed as this like stoner thing. It's stupid. It's all these kind of things, right? Which we can get into. But essentially, so my dad was a just say no type guy, right? And he had interacted and had his party days, but the only time he had ever tried cannabis, him and his first wife, had interacted with a joint. They heard a siren like way far away. They hit under the table the entire night, right? So this is someone who's very inexperienced with cannabis, doesn't understand it. Um, and so he had always just told me like, just stay away from it. Not because he ultimately thought it was negative, which I found out later, but just because he didn't understand how to teach me about it. So he was like, just say no, right? So it, when I started real saying- quick, yeah, Real quick, yeah. I got to stop you because what you just said there, <laughs> he didn't know how to teach me about it. You've just yeah. summed up so many important things from anyone who's ever had any issues with their parents ever. I just really yeah. wanted to pop in here and I apologize for interrupting. Your no, flow. you're good. You're good. It gave me the chills all over because you oh, now yeah. apply that. That is scalable to anything. He didn't know how to teach me. They didn't know how to teach me. We say it all the time. They were doing the best they could with the information they had at the time. Exactly. But dude, to recognize that, man, I mean, okay. Thank you. Uh, again, dude, apologies, your dad. No, Brandon, dude, you're so welcome, brilliant. dude. And literally, I say that same quote all the time. They did the best they could with the information they had. You know, like, we're going a little side quest here for a second. Like, Please. there comes a time where you look at your parents as just people that are also going through something they've never gone through before. Like, you know, I think when we're growing up, obviously, we look at our parents like superheroes. And in the way they always are, at least to me, right? My parents are always superheroes because they had a child. And I can't even imagine <laughs> what that's like, right? But, you know, at the end of the day, like, at a certain point, they, they became Harry and Patricia to me as long along with mom and dad. Right. And so I realized that, like, when my dad was 65 going through cancer, like he had never done that before. He was just as new to that whole world as I was. Right. And so that was an interesting, like, you know, just awareness to gain at that point. And psychedelics definitely helped me um, have a lot more respect for my parents as just humans as well. Humans that are also being messy and coloring outside the lines and trying to figure it out and, you know, thugging it out, really, and just figuring it out. So. I'm glad you brought that up. But, you know, when I started to just say yes, right, and 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 try cannabis out, I kept it from my dad, you know, because as a 16 year old, you don't know what your parents are going to think. So when I was 18, I woke up one morning and I started peeing blood. I have no idea. I had no idea at the point why. 
but obviously it freaked the hell out of me. Now I had a full on panic attack, obviously ran in, told my parents, my dad drove me to the hospital on the way there. He says, Ryan, I got to know, are you doing drugs? And I said, no, but I am connecting with a lot of cannabis. What I actually said was I'm smoking a shit ton of pot because that was the 18 year old version's language at that point. Right. So when he, when I said that I saw him have like a, okay, like, like he was like good with that. And I'm like, very interesting. Right. So we get to the hospital they start hooking me up with all these machines, trying to figure out what's wrong with me. My dad brings my laptop. And so we were there for four days. Right. And so during that time, I started showing him a lot of the research I've been doing, because when I started to really like cannabis, I was like, okay, let me figure out, like, I want to have a good argument. You know, if my dad does find out, what am I going to say? You know? And so I started doing a lot of research into Dr. William Courtney's work. He has a documentary called leaf that came out, I think back in 2011, um, where basically he had taken a patient of his that had, I think, 11 autoimmune disorders and by juicing raw cannabis. So no intoxicating effects whatsoever, but a lot of what's called THCA, the acid form of Delta 9 THC. Basically, he had put all of her autoimmune disorders in remission. And then at the end, they get married. Super cool story, right? So that's just one of the many different things I was watching at that point that were starting to blow the lid on all this. Like cannabis is not this thing that fries your brain, right? This is actually a plant we've been co-evolving with for thousands upon thousands of years. The phytocannabinoids in the plant just so happen to fit perfectly into our receptor sites like the endocannabinoids do not by chance, right? Like there is no coincidence in life. Man. And so at that point, he he just told me, he was like, wow, I guess I didn't know what I didn't know. And hey, you're in school for psychology right now. You have a really good idea of what you want to do with life. You have a job. He's like, who am I to tell you? You're an eight, you're 18. You're an adult. Who am I to tell you if this is working that you can't do it? So from that point forward, I was still living with them. So he allowed me to do it in the house. And it was kind of just the, this thing that then he became very curious about. He was like, hey, man, like, I'm, I'm curious to get into your world. So fast forward about, I don't know, about a year. And I'm going, I'm now in school for psychology. You know, I just graduated, graduated high school when I had the the kidney thing, which actually what happened was it was a benign system, my kidney that broke open and put blood into my urine. And that was literally my first mortality crisis where I realized that my choices in life matter, right? Like my diet, how much water I was drinking, which was none at that point, right? Like I was smoking cigarettes. I was, you know, interacting with alcohol on the weekends, like a normal 18 year old. So I realized at that point that I wanted to get my shit together. So I started exercising and doing all this stuff. And that's literally the basis of how how the optimize came to be. But um, to go a little bit farther into it, what happened was uh, in 2011, I went to a uh, uh, um, an event called the Boston Freedom Rally, right, which is like a big public display of disobedience where everyone comes out into the green in Boston Common and we all interacted with cannabis. It was a bigger deal before it was legal, but the cops wouldn't bother you. You just get to like, you know, have fun. So I go there and I forget my sunglasses and I got baby blues, right? So I'm like, oh, the sun, so bright, right? So powerful. So I couldn't really hear anything or sorry, see anything. But what I could hear is someone yelling, who wants to make butter with me? So, you know, when one sense gets shut down, the other ones get stronger. So I just followed the sound of this guy yelling, who wants to make butter with me? I end up at this little booth of this guy passing out a pamphlet for a basic eight week semester, opening up at this brand new cannabis institute. Now, For people listening today, this might not seem like that big of a thing. Oh, cannabis school. Cool. Right. But this was 2011. So there was no industry pretty much anywhere in the world yet, except California, maybe Colorado, a couple other places. Um, There was no cannabis school out there except Oaksterdam and Oakland, California. There was nothing. Right. So at this point, I had chalked up my cannabis, you know, relationship at that point as just like a pipe dream, you know, pardon the pun. But so basically what happened was I just felt this like feeling in me. I felt this like, whoa, like the first hell yes I felt from my heart. So I go home and I tell my dad, I'm like, dad, there's this thing open and oh my God. And I was like, can you help me pay the tuition? It was like 500 bucks, but I was a broke college student. And he goes, hey man, yeah, I'll totally help you and I'll do one better. Let's go together, right? Because at that point, medical had just passed. Uh, I had finally convinced him to buy me a grow kit because now I had a medical card. I was legally able to grow like I think six plants. So I bought a grow kit. And our first harvest had sucked, right? So I decided, fuck it. I want to go to the school and start learning everything about cannabis. I had also realized at that point that I didn't want to wear khakis the rest of my life. And so psychology, the typical route of a psychologist was not going to work for me, but I was fascinated with the mind. And so I kept going to school for psychology and got into school for cannabis. And it was just like unbelievable. Like I was the, I was obsessed. I told my dad and he was like, you got to be the first one in last one out. Right? So I helped them with so much stuff. I ended up interning with them, working for them. And in 2014, 
after I'd been learning about organic soil science, science of cannabis, pharmacology of cannabis, all the different aspects of the physiological effects and things like that, I went to my first music festival and uh, and I interacted with MDMA for the first time. Because at this point, I had tried cannabis, but I had just said no to everything else. So I was with some good friends. I had done enough research. I got the right supplements. So I was like, all right, if I'm going to try it, Vegas is the, is the place at my first music festival. So I had done a lot of research on MDMA being a heart opener, all this stuff. So I had an idea of what to expect. Of course, for anyone who's done MDMA, you can, it's just, it's, it's a really beautiful experience. So, so I'm there in the middle of like 50,000 people watching this set. I forget who was playing at the time. And I feel this really deep heart feeling. It's hard to put in the words because it's beyond words, but I feel this feeling and it's associated with my dad. So logically, my mind goes, well, my dad and I and my mom always went to Mohegan Sun or Foxwoods. We're in Vegas gambling like my dad was always big at that. Um, he was always really good too. he would gamble a couple times a year and always come back up. I don't know how he did it, um, but he was really disciplined with that. So he loved the idea of Vegas. He had been there before. We also loved going to steakhouses. Me and my friends that went were going to a lot of steakhouses. So I just chalked up to that. Right. Well, it's very interesting because when I got home nine days after I got home, he had broke the news to me that he got diagnosed with stage four cancer and they had deemed it was terminal. Right. So in that moment, I had no idea how to process that. I didn't know what trauma was at this point or anything, but I just knew like pretty much I just swallowed it. And here was my dad who looked the exact same as he did the day before when I didn't know he had cancer, but now he's essentially going to die. Right. And he hadn't told me at the time, but they only gave him two months, right? This was July. They gave him till Halloween. So maybe a couple more than two months. Right. So it was July 9th that he got diagnosed. And so basically what happened was you know, he didn't want to be treated as a sick guy, but I didn't know exactly how to like just be normal around him. Right. He also didn't want to take chemo and radiation because he had just finished bringing his brother every week for the last three months or six months, something like that to Dana Farber in Boston for cancer treatment. His brother had large cell carcinoma. He got small cells. So his brother's was much longer lasting. My dad's was rapid and fast. Uh, and by the time they found it, it had already metastasized. So he was like, fuck that. I want to go out with my dignity and my hair because he had a great fucking head of hair. That's where I get it from. Yeah, you know, so 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 basically I had a I had a choice in that moment. Do I love my dad for the person he's always been? the amazing individual that's cared for me, that's loved for me, but also the person that, you know, doesn't eat the healthiest, drinks Coca-Cola, smokes cigarettes, et cetera. Do I love him for who he's always been? Or do I try to control him and make him into the version of him that I think he should be so that maybe he can be around, right? And in the risk of doing so, potentially have a lot of challenges like with him, right? In his last last days, right? So luckily I decided to go with the first option, right? And so I decided to love him for who he was. And what happened was after a couple of weeks, he started experiencing some pain. So we took the last harvest that we ever uh, grew together and I made it all into RSO. And so I started feeding it to him. And so here's this individual who hasn't interacted with cannabis since the one joint you know, experience I told you about. And now he's getting the most powerful form of cannabis on planet Earth, right? So I would sit with him when I would administer this to him and... And I had done this with a lot of cancer patients at the school, but I sat with him and obviously it was my dad's so a little bit deeper of an experience for sure. And I would sit with him, make sure he didn't have any questions, make sure he wasn't, you know, accessing paranoia or anxiety or any of those things. And it was beautiful what had happened because this is where I truly discovered the power of cannabis because I thought I had figured it out when it helped me right with my own anxiety. But here I was starting to understand holistic health and all of these things and starting to hear about this epidemic of loneliness that's going on in the world, which is actually this weird thing society does where they make the result the actual problem. The result is loneliness. The problem is a lack of ability to connect, right? And so when I was sitting with my father <clears throat> and we went more into this alpha brainwave state, I would hear stories about his childhood that I had never heard. And I'm an only child. I have a stepbrother and stepsister, but like my dad and I were super close, right? So I thought I had figured them all out. I started hearing all these other stories. I get to watch him have closure with his grandchildren, his other children, my mother, me, and most importantly, his own mortality. You know, we got to take the heaviness out of subjects like death. We got to think of it more of like a celebration of the graduation more than something to be somber about. Not that it wasn't still sad, but of course, like it was just this like, you know, we got to experience life being infinite before I really knew what that meant. And so through that time period, I really understood how cannabis can help us connect. And that being the biggest issue I think the world is facing right now, whether it be with ourselves, those we love, or maybe we don't have in our lives, the world at large, our mission, our purpose, and just everything that we're here for, right? And so I'm having this experience while my father's going through this end of life experience and 
So he was given a date till a Halloween. Basically, he ended up making it all the way until the end of June the following year. Right now, I can't say 100 percent objectively whether it was cannabis that did that. But logically, when you're getting scans back and his tumors are not growing nearly as fast, I mean, they they lowered their aggressive rate about 70 percent overall when we look at all the scans. And I know that what happened was I got extra time with my father. So regardless of what it was, I'll forever credit cannabis for being able to have that time with my father and I, for me to have a lot of closure. And I really feel like that time, like is why I can talk about this, you know, and I do get emotional sometimes when I talk about it, but you know, it's like, it's, it, I allowed myself to have that closure and it was just so powerful. And so from that point forward, I ended up getting into the dispensary, working with over 5,000 medical patients on not just cannabis, but helping them get their whole lives in order with holistic health and, you know, Paul Check's teachings and all of these individuals I've had the opportunity to train with and mentor with. And so after a certain point, the dispensary got bought out by a corporation. Now, of course, when it happened, I was like, oh, this is so annoying. But the greatest thing happened. And this is like one of my other teachings is that anything in life can be a lesson if you choose it to be. So what happened was the corporation of like the ultimate Chad and Brad's buying us out, right? When we were like a really fun family owned dispensary before it triggered me so fucking hard that I was like, fuck this place. And so through another um, uh, MDMA experience in Las Vegas, I don't know what it is about that place. I had this huge realization that it was up to me to quit the job. No one was keeping me there. I wasn't a victim, right? I had the opportunity to like really go off my own. And this was the opportunity. They were giving me that opportunity. And so I'll forever be grateful to those individuals that took that dispensary over because if they hadn't, I probably would still be there. Right. And, and not that that was like, you know, something that I regret, you know, like being there, but it was obvious that like my heart wasn't fully fulfilled there. And so being able to leave there, start highly optimized, the pandemic started right after that. I spent two years traveling, training with some of the highest realm coaches in the world, got totally back into psychology. And we can go deeper into any one of these aspects. But what pretty much happened was after about a year and a half, I had all of these coaches that I was meeting, some very high level people asking me so much about my cannabis that I would bring around. And they just wanted to know everything about cannabis. And they were so confused about it. And finally, my friend Kimberly Kesting at one of the first things I went to, like first in-person things, she was like, hey, have you ever thought about coaching people on cannabis? Like, I feel like I could use that. And so we did our first session. It was fucking amazing. And the, the ball really rolled from there. And now I have the Connect with Cannabis program, the Grow with Cannabis course. I've had the opportunity to talk to amazing individuals like yourself about this. It's it's literally a dream, man. I got to pinch myself most days to make sure I'm not dreaming. Absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. I need to connect you with Jim Gale of the Food Forest Abundance Project. Have you heard of him or heard of that project? Yes, I have heard of that. I would love to be connected with him. He's a great friend, dude, uh, and uh, very uh, avid with connecting with cannabis responsibly. Hell so yeah. this beautiful. is like a married uh, thing. It's beautiful, especially with your knowledge, man. Uh, and yeah. I love what you said about connecting with cannabis. I love that you called it that. I will forever be referring to it as that. And yes. I absolutely adore this because it more reflects how I feel about it. Not just, oh, mm. let's go get a huh. <laughs> it's not what I'm doing, but it's the vernacular I was familiar with, so I appreciate yeah. the update. Uh, but what's really interesting is there was a gentleman I had on the show quite some time back named Dr. Piero Calvi Perasetti, and something mm. that he specializes in is life after life um, type mm. stories and accounts. Now, what's very interesting is that one of the quotes that he said in there that will forever stick with me is it's not to be scared of death. It's to be scared of an unprepared death. So what's really interesting yes. about what you experienced with your father, it never clicked with me, that quote, until your story because this is now something to where you for that for him i mean now it's a beautiful gift to see it that way uh, you know i tend to think selfishly that i just want it over quick and i'm done and mm -hmm. just for it to be this surprise but actually i mean i'd kind of like to put a bow on a few things you know yeah. there's a great song um by a band called porcupine tree and i'm gonna link it down oh, below i love porcupine are you fucking tree, kidding dude. me nobody ever dude, really gets that reference love porcupine tree dude trains um start us uh, something beautiful music yes like, dude that's so i used to be a, i mean i'm still a huge metalhead right i grew up that the hair came from that era right and so yeah. uh, i actually grew it out for a slayer concert in ninth grade uh it's a pretty funny story but um but i love porcupine tree opeth all of that kind of like prog rock stuff it's amazing man there, there's so a funny you bring them up. <laughs> oh my God. Well, it's crazy. It makes sense that you, you get them because of how we are, but it, it's yeah. crazy because I've only heard of one other person, my buddy, Ryan Cook, who actually runs a show called the 13 podcast. Absolutely incredible. You got to check him out who Hell specializes yeah. in interviewing musicians. And he's him mm -hmm. and I connected 20 years ago in Houston. He's a lifelong brother. And, uh, he was the, uh, he was the roadie, the bass tech for, uh, Kings X. Have you ever heard of them? 
No, no, I haven't okay, heard of King's huge X. Huge band of the 80s. Well, they toured in Europe with Porcupine Tree, and Ryan Dude. got to go on tour with them. I was like, get the oh. fuck out of here. So he's hanging out with these guys, but I'm going to link down there uh, their song, uh, Arriving Somewhere But Not Here. Now, that mm. song is all about, uh, in my mind, the way that I perceive it, um, death and this idea of, you know, do you, do you ever think about like the last thing you hear before you die? Is it a song? Is it the breaking of a windshield? Is it the loud bang of a gun? Like what, you know what I mean? But again, back yes. to my point is you embracing that with your father and being able to connect over cannabis you literally connected over cannabis to this you you gave me the title of the episode early on in it but now it's even more yes. solidified so that's amazing that you two had that connection so i i want to ask uh, if do you where do you see this going uh next what's the next step mm -hmm. for cannabis just sort of in the global zeitgeist just in your mind make some you know rastradamus predictions for us yeah so what I think overall, and I don't want to manifest this, but is this is just what I see, right? I think that the same way that tobacco was bastardized um, by, you know, uh, big ag and all of these individuals, right? Like, you know, and again, tobacco is a plant that's been used for thousands upon thousands of years. But when I mention to people that I'll vaporize organic tobacco, they're like, oh my God, you're going to get cancer. And I'm like, that's not how it works, right? Not like, first works. of all, it's, it's, it like, this has been being interacted with for thousands of years. Now, does it take discipline? Of course, right? Like anything does, right? Like when you're working with things that can provide comfort to you, you have to be really aware of yourself and you have to be able to tell yourself the truth. Otherwise, you're just going to connect with them to numb out. Right. And I've been there. Like, you know, I never want people to think I'm talking from a place of not being there. I've been in all of this stuff. That's why it's so easy for me to point out and pick out when I work with clients that are dealing with this stuff. Right. But the thing I want people to know is they're not alone in that, you know? And so what I would say overall is I think cannabis is going to have the same thing happen to it where all of a sudden it's going to be like, Oh, cannabis causes cancer. No glyphosate, pesticides, herbicides, rodenticides, fungicides, those things cause cancer plus potentially chemical salt nutrients. I don't know about those yet. Right. But I do know that the way that cannabis is being portrayed right now, uh, very similar to a lot of other psychedelics is like, do it all the time. It can do all this amazing stuff. And I really think I had a guy on the podcast recently that I would love to introduce you to this guy, Robert Forte. He's known as the least well-known, most influential pioneer of the psychedelic renaissance, right? And I, I don't like calling it psychedelic renaissance, kind of like cringy, but I don't know what else to call it. So I'm going to call it that. But he, um, he was friends with Alexander Shulgin, Timothy Leary, Terrence McKenna, uh, Aldous Huxley, Albert Hoffman, Stanislav Grob, like literally all of them. And basically what he said was that he really thinks that psychedelics are becoming so popular right now, very similar to the reason why Brave New World was out, right? Like we're essentially the, the government powers to be the 1%, they control everything and they keep everyone controlled by giving them a lot of drugs. Basically, they call it Soma in Brave New World. And if you read A Brave New World Revisited, you can actually hear Alice Huxley talking about this of like, oh, wow, when I wrote that book, I thought it would take until around 2020 for this to happen. It actually happened like 20, 30 years sooner. Right. And so I think that's one of the things that's going to happen with all of these plant medicines is that ultimately a lot of people are going to end up believing that they're connecting with them consciously and all of these things. But they're just going to be numbing out with them, you know, and, and that's the challenge with a lot of these is that. You know, I've seen a lot of people doing it. I did this for a while, too, where it's like I'm going to a ceremony on Saturday. The next week I got another ceremony and ceremony, ceremony, ceremony. This is one of the reasons I love cannabis, because cannabis, unlike other medicines, they, it, you know, unless you dose it really heavy, it doesn't send you out as far. It connects you more to your sensory awareness, more to your humanness. And what I love about that is that you can connect with it a little bit more often and still be able to integrate what you learn. Because when you do like an ayahuasca experience or a psilocybin experience, sometimes it sends you so far out or so far in that it really takes you a little bit before you can connect with that medicine again if you want to really be able to integrate everything that you learn from it. But cannabis, on the other hand, like I said, it's practical, right? Like, you know, you might get a quick idea or something like that. You know, like I, I give this example all the time, right? Let's say you are having a creative block in your life, right? And you're like, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just stunted, right? You connect with cannabis with the intention of figuring out what this creative block is. When you're in the experience, right? Either taking a walk, whatever your ceremony decides to be, right? And we can get into how I create ceremony, but you know, like whatever your ceremony decides to be, you start, let's say, taking a walk and you get this memory of you painting at a young age. And when you get that memory, all of a sudden a feeling hits you, this feeling of expansion. And you're like, oh, my God, I want to start painting. I've been telling myself I don't have the time to paint, but this is actually what I want to do. Now, after that experience, there's two types of people. 
there's the type of people that will be like, wow, that was a great experience. And then a week later, they're like, why am I still creatively blocked? I don't really get it. Right. They didn't integrate what they learned. They expected maybe the plan would solve it for them, but they didn't actually put in their end of the bargain. The other type of person realizes that the plan can show you the what, but it's up to them to figure out the how. So they either in the experience, which again is great about cannabis or right when they come out of it, go, you know what? I'm going to go sign up for a paint class, right? So they do it right there. They take action and take ownership over it. They sign up for a paint class they go to that paint class and then they experience a synchronicity in a sober state of reality, right? Or maybe they meet someone they haven't seen for a while. Maybe they're interested in someone in a romantic way, right? Uh, and they start getting all of it because now they're following a breadcrumb trail that was given to them by this innate source of wisdom within them that cannabis helped them tap into. Because what cannabis does is it brings you out of the mind and into the body, right? Now, the interesting thing about cannabis, though, is unlike things like psilocybin or ayahuasca, a lot of times the ego can still be online. It's just rescinded a little bit. And I think this is why it's so practical, because when the ego and default mode network are still a little bit online, it's easier to make sense of things, integrate, take out your phone, do stuff right. Like can't really do that when your ego is getting obliterated into the stars. Right. So I think this is one of the biggest reasons why I focus so heavily on cannabis, because in, a, in the modern day world, you know, I think that people are already tuning out with, you know, Netflix and all of these things. And again, not my place to judge. That's not why I'm here. But it is an interesting observation. If we're already tuning out and more numbed out and disconnected than ever, then do we need to be going to the stars every weekend and just to go back out? Or do we need to find a medicine that can actually help our entire lives in a sober state of reality become a psychedelic experience? Like for me, what I've learned is that I personally cannot smoke cannabis every day, all day and have good experiences. But what I can do is I can figure out the things that are challenging me in my day to day life, connect with the plant to illuminate what's challenging me figure out the how after and create more fulfillment and joy in my life in a sober state of reality. And that is sustainable. And for me, I always look into sustainable things because for me, I want to be high all the time. Right. But I've learned from being dependent on the plant for a long time that it's not possible with things like cannabis. Right. And that's not what the plant wants. The plant doesn't want to be the moon or sun. Right. It's not trying to be worshipped, but it does want to be seen as the moon, the, the finger that can point you back at the moon or sun when you become disoriented. You know, and what I tell everyone is, and the reason why cannabis is seen as this like, you know, thing that just numbs out and these kind of things is because people are unaware that with a feminine plant, we, whether we're male or female, need to provide a masculine component of energy to equalize that equation. And so that becomes intention, right? Intention is you telling the plant, this is what I want. I give this analogy a lot. If you're sick as a kid and your mom comes in and goes, oh my God, Brandon, are you okay? Can I get you anything? And you just stare at her. She doesn't know what you want, right? But if you tell her, hey, mom, I could really use some chicken noodle soup, she's like, I got you, right? But it's not up to her to know what you want, right? She might ask you, but it's up to you to actually vocalize that. And so for me, what I tell everyone is if you picture a salsa dance, right? The masculine job is to hold the space and be able to give that woman the eyes to say, I know where you're going to go and I'll be there to catch you when you do your incredible expose of this beautiful salsa dance. The woman's job is to feel safe in the masculine presence to express herself. This is exactly how cannabis works. But a lot of people, again, we never got to use a manual for the plant, right? So this is why it's so important we talk about this because I tell people this is simple, right? Like I don't want anyone to walk away from this episode or anyone I've done thinking that they have all these rules now for cannabis and it's so complicated. It's literally this simple. Before you connect with cannabis, how do you want to feel? What do you want to get from that? It could be as simple as I want to experience joy. It could be as complicated as I want to go to the Akasha Records, right? Like it could be anything you want. It doesn't have to be super spiritual, right? It can be, I want to have amazing sex with my partner. It can be whatever it is, but tell the plant what you want. And when you're in that experience, you're now open and receptive to more awareness, ideas. And if you be, if you're able to actually integrate them after your whole life is going to benefit as a result. And that's my ultimate message. Dude. Yes. Yes, this is the thing I'm talking about. It's the freedom from the nonsense of it. You know what I mean? Because there's a bunch yeah. of nonsense wrapped up in shit. And and all you have to do is be just slightly aware and take inspired action. And this is exactly perfect, man. Exactly what you're talking about, dude. I love this. Now, uh, just a couple more questions for you here. I definitely yeah. want to know, um, do you think that cannabis can replace pharmaceuticals? Absolutely. Um, now, I don't think it's objective in nature. Um like, I do think that there are very specific instances, like 
you know, things like schizophrenia, for instance, right? Like I wouldn't say that cannabis could replace schizophrenia medication. Maybe it could, but I don't specialize in that. So I wouldn't want to tell anyone that and then have them be like, I'm going to get off my medication, Ryan, so that I can just use cannabis, you know, but I think for a lot of things, um, for sure, like for instance, Crohn's disease medications, um, glaucoma medications, you know, these are examples of things that could be taken out. Again, I'm not a doctor, so I don't want to tell anyone what to do, but it's important that if you're someone listening to this right now, it's on pharmaceuticals. Look into the science behind cannabis. Talk to your doctor and figure out if you could potentially cut down on these things and include things like cannabis and other natural remedies as well, because cannabis isn't the only one. Right. Um, but I think it's I think it's really big that we start doing that because at the end of the day, you know, we have an endocannabinoid system. We don't have these pharmaceutical systems, right? Like our bodies were not meant to interact with things that essentially really only treat things anyway. I think that's one of the biggest things about psychedelics is that like, they're like, oh shit, phase three MDMA trials, they cured PTSD. We didn't even know that was possible, right? So I think there's a lot of um, uh, potential there. I think there's a lot of science that's yet to come out that you know maybe is being withheld, who knows? But I think that for everyone, it's worth having a conversation with maybe not just your doctor, but like a naturopath, you know, uh, a registered clinician or, or physician, but someone who understands this realm, because most doctors were trained in the system of giving you a pill for whatever challenge you're having. Right. So the body has this innate wisdom within it, right? Somatics and all of this kind of stuff. And that's one of the biggest things cannabis can do is help you tap into the uh, innate wisdom of the body without the mind trying to tell you a story of why you can't or you don't have the time to or any of these things. But at the end of the day, you know, if you're able to connect into your body like that, then you're able to actually get this innate wisdom without of it. Right. And so traumatic release and these kind of things are really big. But at the end of the day, like, you know, pain can be a teacher for us. But most of us have learned that if they get a headache or whatever, it's like, oh, fuck this. I must have an Advil deficiency. Right. And so at the end of the day, it's important to talk to a doctor who's at least aware of this because most doctors are not cannabis informed. They're not psychedelic informed yet. Um, again, not to necessarily blame them. They weren't trained in that, but the same way that if you have a German car, you're probably not going to take it to any random mechanic. You're going to go to a German spe specified mechanic, right? Why? Because you understand that that person has the credentials to be able to know exactly what your car needs based on them studying German engineering, right? So very similar to psychedelics. There's a lot of doctors now that are being trained in psychedelic medicine that are being trained in natural, you know, natural remedies. So I would recommend that people seek out one of those physicians uh, to be able to have that conversation because they're going to be able to tell you the most for sure. But in my own life, I mean, I got off of every anxiety medication. I'm not on one medication. I haven't been on one since I was 16 and they never worked for me anyway. Right. So again, I don't want anyone to walk away and say, I'm going to kick them all to the curb. Right. But for me, they never worked. You know, I had to look elsewhere. And I think for a lot of people, they might be realizing, maybe even listening to this, like, fuck, are they really even working for me or am I just numbing out? And again, realize you're not alone. I mean, pharmaceuticals are something most people in the country are on. I don't have the stats offhand, but realize you're not alone. And that everything can be a learning uh, lesson if you choose for it to be right. And so maybe if someone's listening to this and they're feeling this right now, it might be their call to find this naturopath that can help you with a lot of other things besides just what you're on medication for and allow you to ultimately end up having more fulfillment and joy in life. Yes. Fuck yes. <laughs> there, let's go. <laughs> let's go. There is a theory running around uh, sort of that stems from uh, Zachariah Sitchin's work with uh, the Anunnaki and this claim that mm. Anunnaki came back and, and or came here in some past and found a bunch of monkey type creatures running around. They uh, hybridized them or genetically modified them in some way that eventually became us. And then we are here mining gold. What are mm -hmm. your thoughts on that? Perhaps one of the pair of Enlil and Enki, like one of the two, mm. you know, that came down that mm -hmm. the benevolent one, the one that had our best interest in heart actually designed us with the endocannabinoid system and then also sprinkled some pot everywhere so that we can actually make it through this shit. What are your thoughts? Dude. on that? That's a really interesting question. And I'm so glad you brought up Enki and Enlil. Like I'm obsessed with ancient Sumeria. Like, I started watching ancient civilizations on Gaia and immediately I was like, like, I just love this stuff. And so it's a really interesting theory. And what I would say is that if we understand that the story of Kabbalah was that Kabbalah was given in the Garden of Eden when we fell from grace. So we remembered how to get back home when we were done figuring out duality or whatever. Then why wouldn't psychedelics be a very same, same, maybe different type mechanism? Right now, at the same time, with great power comes great responsibility. Right. So it kind of makes sense because they would never like give us something and be like, hey, you can just skip all the work and get back here. Right. But at the end of the day, 
You know, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know if you watch uh, Outer Banks. It's like a cute little show on Netflix, but it's like the Goonies or any of these things, right? Like they don't just say, hey, the treacherous here, man. They give you certain things that have to be understood in certain levels of consciousness, right? So for a lot of people, it's not enough to just like, you know, know nothing about cannabis, smoke it and you get consciousness. That's not exactly how the plant works, right? It's not really how any of these psychedelics work. Like I interacted with psychedelics, psilocybin, things like that before I really understood the power of them. And I didn't get what I get now out of them, you know, and and that's because I've done a lot of work in my sober state of reality to build a foundation from which the skyscraper that I've built of psychedelic experiences can now stand on. And again, I think a lot of people are just unaware of the powers of this. So personally, I believe that's a very plausible theory because we know that not everyone who connects with plant medicines benefits in the ways we're talking about, right? So it would kind of be like that, right? And and I heard a theory a long time ago that was really interesting, right? That was uh that was that, you know, Enki, Enlil, uh, whoever you want to talk about, the gods, anything, uh, they basically inserted themselves into psychedelics because. If you eat five grams of mushrooms, right? And you come back and you're like, oh my God, Brandon, I saw God and he was there and there was aliens, right? People are going to be like, dude, you ate mushrooms. Like they're going to completely write it off. So for those uninitiated people, right? It's not going to fuck up their, their free will of figuring that out on their own, right? So it's almost like plausible that people can have these experiences, but they have to understand they're real, right? Because no one around them is going to validate it for them, right? They're going to be like, what you ate mushrooms and you found God cool story, bro. Like, yeah, sure. Right. Even though a lot of us that have done it understand like, no, that's definitely actually very real, you know? And so I think that it really, it, it, it really makes a lot of sense to me because it has this ability to not necessarily be able to turn people on who haven't had the experience, but for the people that choose to trust in the experience they've had and trust in themselves, it can definitely open that up. So it's a very plausible theory. And I'm glad you brought that up. I haven't been asked that question before. So well, <laughs> this I, is really I, cool. honestly, just thought of it when I was sitting here with you. So you intuitively yeah. are aiding in the question process here as, yeah. as this goes. <laughs> uh, and it's just something I thought uh, that would be fun to talk about. And I was right. It was mm-hmm. awesome, man. Great job. Dude, hell yeah. Uh, so I just have to ask also, uh, what mm-hmm. was the uh, improvis- improvised improvised smoking mm-hmm. or connecting with cannabis device that you are most proud of, sir, that you have created in your life so far? Oh, yeah. Now, do you mean like uh, in terms of ceremony? Do you mean in terms of like method of ingestion? What exactly are you uh, talking about? Method of ingestion? Yeah, more of a recreational sort of, uh, hey, we don't have anything, but we got this. Uh, how can we make uh, point A to point C occur? Gotcha. So what I say all the time is I'll go over a couple of things. So personally, I love vaporizing in terms of a method of ingestion. It's just for me, like, you know, yes, it's healthier. And of course I care about that, but for me, it's, it's, it's better, right? Like to me, it's just better. And I think an important thing to understand here that, you know, again, how we do anything is how we do everything. So with cannabis, of course, as it apply to is that most people are not willing to make their lives harder for something they don't know the benefit of yet. Right. So what I always want to tell people is it's not just that a volcano vaporizer is 600 bucks and it's healthier and all of these things that make it sound kind of boring. Right. And kind of costly. It's that for me, it keeps the entire ritual where you're still packing, you know, a bowl, you're still grinding something. You have a bag that you're passing to everyone. You can still sit in a circle. So it's keeping the ritual of connecting with cannabis, uh, very similar, but at the same, at the same time, it is healthier. And for me, it's much more efficient. And it's also me being a can of sore, It's the best way to taste the true essence of the terpenes because you can control the temperature to a point where you actually, uh, you actually don't degrade the terpenes because when you're burning something and combusting it, the terpenes are the first to go. And so, yeah, you're still going to get the effect, but you're not going to get the full somatic and, and olfactory experience from your nose and your, and your taste and everything like that as you do when you vaporize it. So with regards to like how someone could actually leave this episode with something practical to go try, we have something we call the highly optimized way, which is really a four-step process. So the first step, and this is again, not based on right or wrong. This is just what we've found and working with over a hundred people in the program now, and me working with over 5,000 in the industry is that if you take a three-day break per week minimum, right? The cannabis is going to be able to work more transcendentally and spiritually in your body. Now, I'll talk about this quantitatively and qualitatively. So quantitatively on a science level, your cannabinoid receptors are not as saturated, right? So you can go a lot deeper. On a more qualitative level, and and what I choose to believe it's harder to measure, is the fact that cannabis, right? Like when you're in a codependent relationship, like think about it as human beings, right? If you're with a romantic partner, but you're codependent on him or her, how open to being completely honest with you is that partner going to be? 
they're probably going to be a little nervous that if they say the wrong thing, you're going to like go off the deep end, right? So there's a level of uh, lack of truth that you're experiencing there, right? Same thing happens with cannabis is what I choose to believe, right? And so this does something on the quantitative level of like being able to like, you know, take that break and have your cannabinoid receptors uh, flushed. It also does something for not just, I believe your relationship to the plant, but your relationship to yourself, realizing like, no, I am not controlled by this entity. Like I am not um, you know, numbing out with it. I'm actually like utilizing it to uh, have fulfillment in my life, right? So first step is to take that three-day break per week. When you actually connect with the plant, your first step is to set an intention, right? So before you connect with the plant, you want to create an intention. Now, again, this could be just a word. It could be an entire letter. It could be whatever you want it to be, whatever feels natural. The second step, or the third step rather is ceremony, right? So for me, ceremony gets a lot of different, like people these days think about it this very reverent thing. And yes, it can be right. But again, most people that could benefit from what I'm saying right now are not necessarily going to, you know, do a seven directional prayer and use sage and Palo Santo and, you know, uh, do work with Kabbalah and all these types of things. Right. So rather than try to complicate this, I'm going to make it as simple as possible. Your ceremony is a setting from which your intention can play out within. So what I tell people is to make it practical. So if you're looking to figure out why you have a really deep pain in your right hip, you probably want to have a ceremony where you're laying down. Maybe you do a seven directional prayer and you set sacred space and all of these things, but you lay down and you go into what's called a body scan, right? That's a practical application of a ceremony for that specific intention. On the other hand, let's say that you haven't seen a friend for a while and you really miss him or her and you want to connect, right? The right ceremonial structure for that might be you guys setting your intention and going on a walk together, or even maybe going to a concert and seeing some live music. So where I differ is that I personally think you can create a ceremony out of anything. It just brings that conscious intention to the forefront, right? And so once you've actually gone through your ceremony, this is where I believe the true work begins. And this might trigger some people because ceremony can be challenging, right? Like for anyone who's have a plant medicines, they're not all sunshine and rainbows. I think love and light, right? Like that's a saying that's said a lot in the ceremonial plant medicine space. People don't realize that is yin and yang, right? Love being yin, light being yang, which is when light hits dark areas for the first time, what's the first thing you notice? You notice the cobwebs, how messy it is, right? And that can be very alarming for a lot of people. So that's why you want to have a ceremony that's specifically set for your specific intention. Like if you're looking to figure out, again, the body tension, like that's probably something in your shadow that's showing up in your physical tissue, right? Because your issues are stored in your tissues. And so you don't want to be somewhere with a bunch of people that when that starts coming forth, now cannabis gave me anxiety. It didn't give you anything. It released you from the confines of your mind. And then you tuned in to what was already going on in your body, right? The other thing on a more quantitative level as well with anxiety, because I get this question a lot, is that cannabis produces a sympathetic nervous system response on onset, right? So when your body is in a fight or flight response, guess what's going to start happening? You're going to start getting feelings of anxiety and paranoia, right? Depending on how upregulated you already are, those are going to be either very mild or very enhanced. But where people give their power away is they go, cannabis gave me anxiety. I can't deal with it, right? And so the opportunity there is to take ownership. So once you've gone through taking your break, setting an attention, going through your ceremony, the, the fourth and final step, in my opinion, the most important, if you want to connect with these uh, plants as medicines, as allies, as teachers, as sources of being an oracle, is to integrate. And so for us in the Connect with Cannabis program, we have this beautiful tracker, right? That makes it super easy. All we have people do is go through their ceremonies. You know, they track everything on the tracker, how they were feeling before, what their intention was, what they noticed, what sensations, thoughts, feelings, memories, emotions they were feeling, uh, what they plan to do to actually integrate it. And then on the call, what I do in each uh, group call is I go around and I make sure that everyone has an accountability piece that they're going to do, right? They got an awareness from the ceremony and now they're going to integrate it into their sober state of reality. And so if someone wants to leave this podcast with something they can actually go do follow that four-step process we call it the highly optimized way which really funny when we came up with that name we didn't realize that like i said before a lot of times i say cannabis will show you the what you need to figure out the how highly optimized way we were like oh, mind blown right so that was only like the hundredth of like the thousand of synchronicities we've had doing this work but for someone who wants to go try this out try that and you'll be in a much better spot to experience the true psychedelic nature of cannabis absolutely outstanding Ryan, I, I can't thank you enough. Ryan Spragan, all the ways to find you will be located down in the show notes, dude. Uh, thank you for taking us to church on this. I'm so grateful we connected, man. You and I have so many more conversations to have. Yes. And I'm looking forward to every damn one of them. So thank you so much again, brother. This was truly fantastic. 
Oh, you're so welcome, Brandon. Thank you so much. And thank you for everyone checking it out. You know, I love this stuff. Like I said, I got to pinch myself most days to make sure I'm not dreaming. And Brandon, I would love to get you on the This One Time on Psychedelics podcast. So let's plan that out too, man, and dive back down the rabbit hole. Be honored, man. Anytime. Thank you. Thank you. Just want to take a moment and thank the real Ryan Sprague for coming by and hanging out with us. All of the ways to connect with him, guys, are going to be located down in the show notes. So make sure you guys take advantage of that. Now, as well, while you're in the mood for taking advantage of dope shit offered here, you might as well check out our resource links. Now, Food Forest Abundance is the great way to get your freedom from fear on. As well down there, you've got Opus, the Organization for Paranormal Understanding and Support. If you, yes, you would like to start your own podcast, I've got a link down there that reads start your own podcast, and that is through Red Circle. That's who we host through, so that's why I recommend them. Now, also, if you really want to level your game up in general, the Manifestor's Guide, that link down there at checkout. If you decide to take Dewey Taylor up on that offer, type expanding reality, all caps, no spaces, and he sweetens the deal on expanding your reality in a huge way, uh, even further than that. So while you're down in those very same show notes as well, guys, you can check out the link that reads expandingrealitypodcast.com. Now, this is our mothership. This baby has gotten a beautiful facelift. I'm very proud of the design and the way that it flows. Uh, as well, that is the place where you can sign up to become an expansive insider. That's where all of our bonus content is hosted. Now, that also got a really cool update and uh, looks just amazing. Love the way it flows. So check that out for sure, guys. Great way to support the show. And that's where all the bonus stuff is at. Now, also, uh, that is where you can support the mission. And that is very important. We are a value for value system here. The link down there that reads support the mission, but you can also get there through the website. Now, one more thing to mention is our handbook. Check this damn thing out. You've got a handbook to follow along with the show, as well as several writing prompts in there that you guys can just have a blast with. I created this thing, uh, inspired by the muse to gift it to y'all. So check that out as well, linked in the show notes. All right, guys, so go out into this incredibly beautiful place, whatever the hell this thing is, and y'all pick up a piece of litter while you're navigating this place out here. Uh, Be nice to everybody that you come across. You might as well in PC or not. You don't know, so you might as well just play it safe. Uh, As well, buying a coffee or a meal, something like that, super small, super simple, uh, goes a long way in the collective. Also, while you're out there traversing and you're just crushing it at life in general, go ahead and get out of the left-hand lane if you've got somebody behind you wanting to pass. And of course, and above all and anything else, guys, go out into this incredibly mysterious and amazingly wonderful place, whatever the fuck this thing is, and y'all just be good to one another. Thank you so much for watching, for listening, for engaging, and just being the most amazing participatory participants in reality. We'll see you next time. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.